0: And which i'm actually happy for i would say probably the best
2: message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history
3: whether you're lesbian gay bi transgender or whatever love is love shout it out to the world
2: the michelle meow show your a through z covering the lgbt lmnop and everyone in between show and now here's your host michelle meow
4: Welcome, 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 welcome. Happy Monday. It is Monday the 14th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. And uh, wow, what a great weekend. Well, I guess it was a good weekend for me, um, although it rained all day here in Northern California. Um, And also, what else happened? Well, Microsoft decided to update itself here at the studio, so (laughs) it feels like there's a haunted ghost around here somewhere. Uh, No knock to Microsoft, I mean, but maybe, kind of, sort of. What's her name? Cantaro, K- Cantara, K- whatever their series. <laughs> um, and uh, and what else? Daylight savings time. So that's probably throwing us off too. I feel, I feel very very sleepy. Um, I feel <laughs> I feel like I'm still asleep. Our one of our producers, Dennis Cruz, is here in studio with us. So we might as well throw him up. Uh, you know, and and just to say hello and chat because I always like hearing from you, Den.
2: I like the fact that you said, throw them up.
4: Throw them up. That's not a good
2: Monday morning thing.
4: (laughs) I didn't mean it in that way. I guess I meant pot them up or whatever people say in radio studios. Yeah, yeah. you're right.
2: I think the the whole daylight savings thing just throws you off. And I know there are people that are like, let's, well, one of the people that wants to change it is the man that here in San Francisco, uh, the ferry building down on the Embarcadero is the largest clock on the West Coast. And the man that has to reset that every daylight savings, it wants, (laughs) please, can we not have daylight savings? Please. You know, so um, I'm with him. You know, just fine. We have a little bit of darkness or a little bit more light, but this throws us off our game. It throws me off my game.
4: I would probably have more sex if we didn't have daylight savings time because then, you know, it would get darker faster. I I wish that that was in
2: my (laughs) playbook, but, uh, you know, what do you do?
4: Oh, my gosh. We're delirious here in the, in the studio on this fine Monday morning. Uh, let's get today's show started. Eh? We have a fun uh, and informational show for you. We have someone who is Christian and gay. That's fun. Woo. <laughs> today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So our next guest, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, you know, is is Christian, he's conservative, and he's also gay. And uh, I think that it's very important to talk to as many people as we possibly can who has differing views and opinions because that's how we learn. And hopefully we can learn to accept one another um, through these things. But he has some really, really insightful uh, thoughts and opinions about this whole, you know, culture war that we're spending, or I should say our war with the Christian right. Uh, He formerly has been the staff attorney for the American Family Association. And uh, (laughs) this is very surprising. He served as a member of Pat Buchanan's presidential campaign staff in 1999. He sounds really scary, but I think he's probably really, really cool. Let's welcome Joe Murray II, uh, who's the author of Odd Man Out, to the program. Joe, thanks so much for being with us.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to be here. How are you doing today, Michelle?
4: I'm doing great. I don't know if, uh, well, I think it's, is it just the West Coast who experiences daylight savings time? No, right? Everybody else does.
0: No, we did too. I think it's all but Arizona. They're, they're the lucky ones. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yes. Arizona, they are the lucky ones. Um, thank you again for being on the program. I, I've, I've very fascinated by reading about you and, uh, I'm sad that I didn't get a chance to get, get a hold of your book before our interview, but I, I, I bet you're going to be back on the show. Anyway, let's, um, let's get you, you know, I guess, situated here on the program, but also let's go back and and get to know you a little bit better. So I mentioned a few things from your past that sounds really scary, but you used to to be all up in the uh, Christian, you know, right organizations who are extremely anti-gay.
0: Yeah, I'm not on the Christmas card list anymore. <laughs> I don't get any many hugs and greets as uh, much. But no, I, I worked with the, well, when I was in law school, I worked with the Alliance Defending Freedom. They were the Alliance Defense Fund way back when. And and they created this uh, this program called the Blackstone Fellowship. And what it was to do was to create a, a conservative alternative to the American Civil Liberties Union, and they were going to go and pluck out what they thought were the best and brightest of uh, Christian law students, train them, and place them in public interest, uh, public interest law firms, or in positions of clerkships and, 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 and government power. Uh, I, of course, was positioned with the uh, American Family Association during that internship, and it went well. I went back to law school, graduated, and ended up getting full-time employment down there. But uh, yeah, I have a a wealth of experience when it comes to the religious right.
4: So through all this, I guess, you know, starting with with law school, I mean, when did you come out during that period?
0: Well, I I probably didn't come out until when I was 30, which was about, gosh, eight years ago uh, to myself. So when I was with uh, the American Family Association, when I was with you can, and I guess subconsciously you could say I knew, but I was not out, and I wasn't even out to myself. It wasn't like I was in the closet to hiding my lifestyle. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't practicing. I guess uh, practicing game. thats a, a good way of saying it. I was just basically, in, you know, doing my thing, trying to uh, distract myself with work and have at it, and you know, and just so everybody knows, uh, you know, what what drew me. To the American Family Association, was not the whole gay rhetoric. That was never a draw. But it was more along the lines of the issues of life, and it was also the issues of protecting people, uh, first amendment freedoms on the uh, on the sidewalks. And I often tell people, I don't care what your politics are. If your first amendment rights are being violated, I'm going to defend it, whether it be a uh, uh, you know a Planned Parenthood action or a pro life action everybody has the right to be out on those streets. And that's why I enjoyed working with the AFA. The whole gay thing to me was just a complete distraction.
4: It's so interesting, you know, AFA and, and their work uh, regarding the First Amendment, because it's like protecting something like that with the basis of discrimination. I mean, you become a contradiction. You're you're basically taking away uh, somebody else's right, in my opinion. Um, I, mean, I mean, I don't know if you want to follow up on that.
0: Well, well, here's what I say. You know, uh, one of the Big uh, things that we used to have to do was the uh, sidewalk counselors on the on the uh, the streets of folks that might have been going into a Planned Parenthood or an abortion facility, and they would be handing out tracts. Now, I'm not talking about getting in your face, grabbing you, pulling you out, all that stuff, but the ability to hand tracts and try to persuade someone not to get an abortion. Now, you might not dis- we might all disagree or agree on whether or not that's the right move, but I think that when you have a public street, they're able to do that. And, 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 you know, they can't follow them in, they can't harass them, they can't follow them when they leave, and and go go follow them to stores and stuff like that, but to just hand the track out. And the same thing goes, too. You know, I represented tons of folks where where you'd have a street preacher, and I'm going to tell you, he is as bad as they can get. I mean, he's nuts. And, uh, you know, and and funny because, you know, being Catholic, too, I was always viewed with suspicion by the evangelical community. Uh, But I don't care if they're up there saying the Catholic Church is the horror Babylon on a street corner. They have the right to do it, and I'm going to I'm going to defend them. And the reason I want to do that is because I think that we can win or lose these debates uh, when we let the the, the public. Be engaged, hmm. uh, and that's why I would support. Uh, that's why I would do that, and I would do the same thing to anti-gay folks, and I would do the same things if uh, if, if pro-choice supporters were being uh, denied a, a a license to protest hmm. in a Bible Belt city. Mm-hmm.
4: We're going to get into that, you know, uh, religious uh, beliefs, religious freedom, and rights, legal rights. Um, but before we do. Let's talk a little bit more about history, because now I'm just intrigued and fascinated by this. All right. So, you know, you work for these uh, conservative anti-gay Christian organizations. Um, at what point did, did uh, you know, you yourself start to sever from the organization based off of the uh, the ideologies?
0: Well, we never really— got along, and when I say got along, I I don't mean that we fought each other every day, but our our personalities and our beliefs never really meshed. Like I told you, I was a Catholic in a very evangelical organization. I always used to kid that I was the affirmative action candidate because they wanted to have a Catholic on the payroll to try to woo Catholic dollars. Because remember, in the early stages of the fight for marriage equality, the Catholic Church was very much conservative and and, and a part of that. And evangelicals wanted Catholic donor dollars, they just didn't want to have to deal with Catholics. It was, it was quite an interesting uh, <laughs> dynamic that you had there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we just never really saw eye to eye. I was a little bit more outgoing. I like to live life, and, and and these folks were very much repressed, and and they and they they were all about appearances rather than substance. And slowly but surely, there was a, a growing disconnect there. And and I would like to say it was a you know it was based upon politics, but it really wasn't. It was based upon more of of how they. You life, uh, you know. I kept seeing these people. Everybody was your enemy. I mean, here it's hysterical. You're supposed to be a Christian organization. You're supposed to love one another. Uh, you know, turn the other cheek. But it was very much a tinfoil hat mentality where everybody was your enemy. Everybody was out to get you. Uh, there was a boogeyman under the bed, and I'm sitting here. I'm like, this is no way to live life. And Jesus didn't live life this way. So what is going on here? So it, we just kind of gradually grew apart, personality mm-hmm. and and wise, and and how we view li- how we viewed mm-hmm. life.
4: Michelle Miao, we're speaking with uh, the author of Odd Man Out, Joe Murray II, and uh, I should make a correction, actually, I had mentioned in the introduction that he's Christian. He's actually Catholic, um, but worked for the Christian (laughs) right organizations for a really long time, so very interesting perspective that you you have in in just kind of your experiences. And so, you know, what a lot of the Christian right-wingers are saying today, and uh, in some states winning, is using... Um, what has become, you know, the LGBT movement's fight for equal rights, but the Christian rights organizations have used that fight, uh, promoting it as a as an agenda. Um, you know, and, and, and oftentimes we'll use our response uh, to try to defend our rights uh, by saying that it's all part of an agenda. Uh, what are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, well, let me just tell you, the culture war, was one of the biggest frauds around it, was as fraudulent as the Iraq War, uh, and, and especially when it comes to uh, the, the issue of marriage equality and, and so forth. Because let me tell you something, uh, what they needed, was they needed to scare the pants off of folks, especially like it, folks like AFA and ADF. They wanted those donation dollars to come in because, look, I mean, you know, public interest work, it shouldn't be lucrative, but it is. And it's not just on the right. It's, it's lucrative on both sides, especially if you have a well-oiled machine. So you use this issue of marriage equality to scare the pants off of people. And they were sending in money. All was good, and you're fighting this fight. And honestly, that was one of the biggest disappointments working at AFA, you know, again, life being closer to my heart. The issue of life kind of got dropped because all these big guys, and and I was part of these smoke-filled room meetings, were all sitting there saying, well, this is where we can go. This is what's going to get us on TV. This is what's going to get us the money. This is what's going to get us the attention. Let's get on to the marriage. And and it was funny. These, These Christian organizations that were once working together were clobbering each other trying to get the big case because, you know, you're only as good as your last case, and if you didn't have the marriage equality case, that meant you were going to be choked out of that money. So everybody's clobbering each other to try to get these cases, and it ends up that they lost it anyway, and, and they lost their relevance, and that's why you see right now, you see them kind of lost. They don't know where to go. They thought maybe these bills that you saw out in Illinois about the Baker bills and all that stuff would do it. That's really not gaining up uh, esteem. It's really amazing to see them in their decline, and that's where they are right now. They're in their decline
4: uh the you know, this is what's crazy to me is that in talking about afa and the christian right-wing organizations who are defending christian rights it just sounds like the strategy and all of that and and like you said I, I i'm not going to say that they're just the evil people um because it goes on both sides but but at the same time it feels so unchristian like
0: oh it is i mean that's the one thing that i knew that i learned that probably lesson number one working in the world of the Christian right is that it's anything but Christian. And that's not to say that there aren't some good people there, but nine times out of ten, the people that are in charge of it, the people that are running the show, they're running it with a a, a very secular... Uh, Motive, which is to make money, and, and that is where the disconnect was, and then that's where I, I just kind of got very upset because you have, look, you have folks that are sending five dollars, you have elderly folks sending five dollars to these groups because they think they're doing Christ's work. When, and when you see how that money is handled and what what it's going to, I mean, when when I remember when I went to a big soirée uh, and it was at the it was at the big uh, Ritz Carlton in uh, Tyson's Corner over there in McLean, Virginia, I'm sitting here, I'm like. These people are sending all this money, so you can have some fat cats sit up there at Tyson's Corner and and feel all important about themselves. So it's very true. It I think the movement it might have started out with good intentions, regardless of where you are politically, but it very much got corrupted, and and that, and that's why you see these groups really fading. Uh, there's really no one around. AFA, I mean, I say this, Donald Trump, won here in Mississippi, home of AFA, which would have been a huge Cruz supporter. I mean, nobody's paying attention to these people anymore. And even mm-hmm. Ted Cruz is on that. Nobody, these I mean, the evangelical movement is complete disarray right now. And I think it's largely in part because they went all in on marriage equality, they lost, and they have nowhere else to go.
4: Ooh, let's follow up on that. But, uh, but first, let's take a quick break. Joe, you'll stay with us.
0: Yeah, you most definitely I will.
4: Awesome. So don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Joe Murray. Listening to the Progressive Voices channel on
3: TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com.
5: Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start?
4: (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com.
3: When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Simes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care
4: A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW.
2: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
4: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this beautiful Monday, Monday, uh, March 14th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our special guest today is the author of Odd Man Out, Joe Murray II, who... Uh, Worked for the Christian right for a really long time and a very fascinating guest for us today. Um, so, Joe, right before the break, we touched a, a little bit on just kind of how unchristian like all this is. And you had mentioned something very profound that I don't think a lot of people have said this. And we we certainly don't have very many um, insiders to know this knowledge that the right wing organizations or I should say the Christian right wing organizations who had put all their chips in one basket and fighting marriage equality have lost. And now, as you had just said, uh, find themselves in disarray. Um, You feel very confident about that.
0: Oh, yeah, I know it. I mean, look, I look, I look. mean, they went all in. They had to win this fight, and that's what they were telling. People invested in this. They sent tons and tons of money to, to win this, and they lost, and they lost big. I mean, and you know, and, and you can see, even when you go to Alabama with Roy Moore, even the Supreme Court there is starting to wake up. So you, you look at it, and, and that's what I mean. It would have been one thing if they said, okay, we're going to focus a little bit on marriage equality but continue to do some of the other more important things, but they didn't. They said, we're going to go all in on marriage equality. 'Cause they thought they could do it. Because look, when this thing started back in two thousand three, two thousand when it really started to get, get ramped up. I'm not saying that it just started in two thousand three, but when the lawsuits and the movement there was a there was a change in the in the trajectory, it was around two thousand three and these and then the religious right, they all thought it we went over the same polls. We're like, Americans would never accept gay marriage. It wouldn't happen. The polls numbers weren't there. But within that short period of time, there was a change in the culture. It was more of a libertarian-leading change in which people accepted this, something that the right did not plan for, they did not think would happen. And it just started to swell. And you had state after state starting to enact gay marriage either through the courts or through the legislature. And more and more gay families were becoming mainstream. And within a short matter of time, you had a complete change of the culture. And the right, they were so confused, they were still doing the old dialogue of of trying to demonize folks, and it didn't work anymore. And when it finally dawned upon them, it was too late, they lost, and now they have nowhere to go.
4: Now, let's follow up that, uh, you know, same, in that same vein, let's have the extended conversation about their, what I consider a threat to the not just LGBTQ equal rights movement, but to, to a lot of people um, who have been oppressed, but this fight for religious freedom and how that's being used to try to take away uh, rights. Um, you don't think that that's something they're going to stick to and try to mobilize a much more bigger presence. I mean, I feel like some uh, small businesses are quote unquote winning, such as, you know, the, uh, the bakeries or the pizza guys who are getting you know, a lot of money in donations uh, as far as support goes
0: they are, but you're always going to have a marginalized part here. Just like, you know, look, I do a lot of employment discrimination with race discrimination. The Civil Rights Act happened how long ago? In the 1960s. And I still do cases of race discrimination here in Mississippi. Now, you're always going to have kind of these leftovers, kind of like, you know, when you eat garlic and you have that bad taste in your mouth for a while. That, that's where we are right now. That, that, they are that, that garlic aftertaste that we have. And, uh, and that's what they're going to be around. You're going to have some businesses that win. Now, some of these businesses, it's like there was one out in Ohio, they got decimated when, when it got made, made public that they were all for inequality. And I think these bakers, these bakers that, were, that you're referring to, they're the poster child. They're so trying so hard to reboot this movement. But the thing is, more and more people don't agree with them. You're going to have a counterculture of, of, of Christian folks that do agree with them, and they might support the bakery. But I think the public at large, if, if you're going to be put on notice that I'm the business of discrimination, people aren't going to go there. And they're going to hurt business-wise, and even if they win legally, I don't think the nation is going to support and send money uh, to discrimination. Again, you'll have a little counterculture conclave of folks that do it, but I think in the broad spectrum, We got this. It's won. And I don't mean to be cavalier about it, but I don't see the nation turning back to institutionalized discrimination against gay people. I just don't.
4: Well, let's translate that to the 2016 presidential uh, elections. I mean, why haven't why haven't these uh, candidates? Why haven't they received the memo yet? I mean, you still have got people like Donald Trump, uh, Ted Cruz, you know, all kind of relying on this position of I'll take away uh, same sex marriage if I win.
0: Yeah, I mean, but if you and that's the thing—it's politics. I mean, look for how long that we dealt with Roe v. Wade, and I'll tell you, I'm on the opposite side on that. But how long did we have these guys say, "Look, I am going to—we're going to reverse Roe v. Wade. We're going to make abortion illegal again." It's what they say, because look, I mean, other than appointing the Supreme Court uh, nominees, the president has very little authority to do do anything in that regard, okay? So they're doing it as talking points, and I believe that what really got me was when this was first decided back in June of last year, when a number of these guys, including Donald Trump, basically said, look, uh, I think it was when Kim Davis was all the rage, and it was like, court has made its decision, that's that. Now, you know, when you got to the Iowa primary, where you still have a very, very uh, large presence of these evangelicals, everybody kind of changed their tune. But I would, I think it's a very safe bet. If we were going to go to uh, Las Vegas, I was going to say Atlantic City, but I think Vegas is closer to you, Michelle. <laughs> but if we yeah. were going
4: go yeah, to go the, to
0: <laughs> Las Vegas, I would bet that if uh, even if Donald Trump or, or Ted Cruz or, or any of these guys get in, they're not going to be able to change marriage quality. It's it's more lip service. And it's that's what the, the right is good at. Let me tell They are the best at paying lip service. They will tell people anything they want to hear to get those donor dollars, and they do it well. They're Mm -hmm. very, very good salespeople. I think it has a lot to do with that evangelical upbringing. Mm
4: -hmm. Now, I want to turn our attention um, to a different topic, uh, and that's because I'm winding down on time, and I really wanted to get your opinion about this. But the LGBTQ movement, in itself, uh, post-marriage equality, is going through what I consider a growing pain. Right? Um, uh, You know, we're all we're we're out now, and so once out, we also are realizing that we have differing opinions, um, even politically. You take Caitlyn Jenner, for example, uh, you know, one of the most what people would consider iconic trans women of today's time, uh, who has a lot of money and who also is is not very shy in saying that she is a Republican and supports uh, Republican candidates. What are your thoughts about that? Should she be, you know, stoned because of her political (laughs) views?
0: No, I think she should, be, she should be stoned because she was in the Kardashian clan. <laughs> <laughs> I think she should be stoned. But no, I, look, I think what we're going to have to do, and this is going to be a real test of tolerance, and you know, and I, I've been a part of this, and not on the nearly as grand as, as Caitlin, but when you have a movement that has been wedded with a political movement, because I think, you know, the movement for equality, I, I always tell people equality is not wedded to ideology. Equality is equality, period. These are absolute principles that should be, remain unyielding despite, whoever's in power. Okay. But for the longest time, the LGBT movement has uh, has been wedded to the Democratic politics, even though the Democrats, and I know we're we running out of time, even though the Democrats have been not so nice to, to a lot of the LGBT, I mean, it took Hillary forever to get to where she is today. And I think largely that's because of politics. Uh-huh. But it, it is identified with the Democrat movement. And and, and there are the Democratic Party. And, and I think what happens is, it is wedded so much that when you have differing voices within the community, I think you're seeing a lot of intolerance. And, you know, I've been called every name in the book. I like it. I I figure if I'm getting you to call me names, I've done my job and at least you're thinking. But yes, I think we have to agree on equality, but I think there is room to grow on whether or not we should have trade policy, whether or not we should have certain foreign policies, whether or not, I mean, the LGBT movement is now going to start to expand or disband. It's one or the other. Uh, Because I think when, just as the religious right is in disarray because it lost and it has nowhere to go, uh, there are some issues, I think, that are on the horizon. But for the large part, everything has been based upon marriage equality. And I think both sides created the uh, mentality that once this issue was solved, a lot of this stuff would go away. And I think that's where the LGBT movement has to try to reinvent itself, too. Where does it go from here? Just like the religious right is trying to.
4: And I would say, you know, some advocates would want to echo that we need to be focusing on the most marginalized and vulnerable of our community, and that would be inclusive of the transgender uh, needs. And you can see that there are a rash of bills that are trying to limit transgender people from even using, uh, you know, restrooms, something as, like, simple as that. And so I had read an article in which you had authored in talking about, um, you know, the gay and transgender movements need a divorce. What is that all about? Well, you know, fool,
0: boy, you want to talk about a lot of heat I got off of that. <laughs> i mean I mean I don't need to go to the spray tan anymore. I got such a burn <laughs> off of that but but let me let me tell you what I meant by that. I am not saying that you throw trans people under the bush. I've represented trans people i I love trans people trans people love me. I mean you know at least they did probably up until that article came out uh but what i'm saying is that we if we're going to be smart both the the l and the and the g part and the t part, you need to separate because the the issues are, are Different. The, the, just the politics of it are different. I'm not saying that you abandon transgender folks and you throw them under the bus, but I said it would be a grave mistake if we try to lump everybody together and then say, look, because we had marriage equality, now we have to, now if certain people have the right to use certain restrooms or, or go to certain places or do all that stuff. We fight that stuff. Don't get me wrong. We got to fight that stuff. And, but we can't let the movements get so gelled that it confuses the public because of that. Look, I've been on the religious right. I know how they operate. That's where they're going to try to hang their hat on in terms of marriage equality if they try to be able to demonize. We fight them, but we don't give them ammunition.
4: We fight together, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
0: And that's why I said, uh, when I meant divorce, and, and that wasn't my headline, of course, that was you know that was created, but yeah. the, the divorce was a political divorce. Never a, 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 we're going to leave you out on the side of the road and then throw you some free cheese type of divorce, okay? It was basically, let's recognize that the movements are different. I think that's the biggest problem that we have, and it's just because we've been together for so long, we think that everything we do is one and the same, and I don't think it is. I think there are mm-hmm. the, the, the political hurdles that are facing the transgender movement are completely different than the political hurdles that were facing the lesbian gay communities when they were trying to get marriage equality. And if we go at it with the same mindset, that they're one and the same, I think it does a disservice to the transgender community, and I also think it, it emboldens the religious right community.
4: You know what? Um, you know, thank you for clarifying the article, by the way, uh, because I know that there were a lot of people who uh, definitely uh, tried to stone you yeah, <laughs> for, for, th- for this article. But but uh, many, you know, LGBT or I should say trans advocates and leaders had said to me the best way for a cisgender lesbian or gay to support trans issues and rights is one don't stand on a platform and try to speak for the transgender community, you know, provide the platform, support the platform, um, and things like that. And so I, I, you know, that's something that we, we ought to remember. Um, I, you know, I've got a minute left, and jeez, you're right. I could sit here and talk to you all day long, so you will be back on the show. Oh, I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, do, I do. I don't usually get invited back sometimes.
4: <laughs> no, 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 no. This was great. Uh, so you got Odd Man Out, which is your, your book uh, that I need to finish. So it's out there. It's available on Amazon. Is there a follow-up book to that?
0: Yeah, I'm actually working on it right now, and I'm going to keep it a little bit mum. but there will okay. be some, uh, some developments on that because this one has done so well. Uh, and especially now, you know, it did well before when it came out in January, and then with the resurgence of this USA Today article and so forth, it's kind of gotten swept back up into it. So it's kind of like a second edition, so to speak, that it is. But we're definitely working because we have to uh, figure out as a community where we go. And not only that, as a country, how we can agree to disagree but mm-hmm. not just hate each other. I mean, because if you look at what's going on with with Trump and Sanders, this is the bipolar election. (laughs) I mean, it really is. I mean, because we have one party saying we're going to build a wall 50 feet high and another party saying we're going to give more free goodies to whoever gets here. I mean, where are we as a country? We have to learn to get together, compromise, and say, okay, we can agree to disagree on certain things, but where do we find common ground? And that's just something we don't do anymore.
4: Very, very well said. Grab a copy of Odd Man Out. It's available online at Amazon.com, and I'm sure at any bookstore you can get to. Don't go away right after the break. We will continue with the Michelle Miao Show.
3: You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices.
6: Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also Vice President of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where you, know, you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcome by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui is that you know, we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now. And and it's it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just, you know, tolerating but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, Follow your passion, follow what you believe in, follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight
3: on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far.
2: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
4: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Michelle Meow Show. (laughs) This fine, beautiful Monday, Monday, March 14th. I think it's still going to rain here in Northern California, which is good. We need the rain. It rained heavily throughout the weekend. um, And uh, it feels nice to be indoors um, and not, you know, baking underneath the sun for a change Um, our next guest is a reporter for Stat News and covers health and science her latest article, uh, get this is about um, the the potential of uh, transgender women being able to bear children so let's find out what that's all about Leah Samuel, welcome to the program The Spotlight on Success and Achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's Spotlight on Success and Achievement is Rick Welts.
7: Well it's been an unbelievable stretch of time obviously. Uh, Everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. and now, to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful time. You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys, and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life. But it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that and this is, uh, you know, for me a real honor to, to be participating in this way and I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time. Uh, not as far as our society has come, so I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I, I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a, a pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner, his name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them, we drove to Lake Tahoe, and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend, you know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do.
3: Spotlight on Success and Achievement, presented by Wells Fargo.
4: Together, we'll go far. All right, Thank you for having me. So, yeah, I kind of just said it casually, but it sounds like this would be like groundbreaking progress. I mean, in terms of science and health. But you've uncovered uh, this, this, this great story in which um, transgender women have some hope in that one day they, become, they can become pregnant. Tell us more.
1: Well, um, this uh, kind of came about because of uh, uh, right now there is a clinical study going on at the Cleveland Clinic involving um, uterine transplants for um, cisgender women um, who are, um, you know, just it's, it's an experimental process right now. Uh, women who were born, you know, without functioning um, uteruses or uterine um, or who, for whatever reason, have had damage to their uteruses, they are, you know, a part of this. Study that's uh, being conducted, and then last year in Germany, I think there was a successful birth uh, by a woman who had had a trans. Uh, I'm sorry, a, 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 it's, it's not. I think it's a. yeah, it's, um, it's a transplanted uterus. Um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and she, and so there's a lot of uh, hope there for trans women who have always wanted to bear children, mm-hmm. and so we're, you know. I was curious about that. My neighbors were curious about that. And it's a question that came up with some of the, you know, the stories about, you know, a a transplant URS being able to carry a pregnancy. And, you know, people said, oh, well, you know, this is something that um, transgender women could do, but no one had talked to any transgender women. Mm -hmm. And so that was where, um, that was what I was going to do. And so I found um, trans women uh, in different parts of the country Talk to them about the possibility, and um, got some really interesting perspectives on that.
4: Um, talk to us about the first uterine transplant that failed uh, last week.
1: Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, um, there were some complications. Um, the woman's body rejected the transplanted uterus. Um, but there, there, there's more than one of them involved in the clinical trial. I think there are nine of them. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, this is part of the process. We're sort of looking at what kinds of complications can come up, what um, the, the possibilities are for uh, the body's rejection of this, um, you know, foreign organ, um, and, and what kinds of things they need to do to counteract that or prevent that. So, I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's a setback, but it's also part sort of part of the process of learning what, it, what it's going to take to make this possible
4: for people. And then, as far as uh, you know, trans women goes. I I mean, I know that. uh, I mean, it's it's not going to be uh, an easy process, as you had mentioned as well. There are certain things that need to take place before um, you can even try uh, a uh, uterus transplant. Correct.
1: Absolutely, it's a very um, grueling, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. process. Not only does it involve you know the traditional. Gender reassignment surgery of creating a, a vaginal canal. But well, there's also uh, the space, space needed to be cre- you need to create a space for the uterus. And because um, those who are born male naturally have narrower um, pelvises than those who are born female, the, you know, you have to practically reconstruct the pelvis in order to make room for the transplanted uterus. So that's a complicated process, and it takes, it, it takes a long time to heal from, you know, your traditional run-of-the-mill gender reassignment surgery. It takes even longer to heal from the kind of reconstruction that will be necessary to implant a uterus. Um, now, you know, some of the transgender women I talked to said, you know, being a transgender woman is complicated anyway, so another set of complications is not terribly daunting, particularly since they, you know, are eager to become parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does. It is a lot. There's, it's very
4: involved. Do you know if uh, d- doses of hormones would have to change, and uh, any, you know anything that would have to add in addition to? Um, it's, it's so mind blowing that I'm I'm trying to even you know, see that this is possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, in order to to make this work for uh, a trans woman, a transgender woman. There need, obviously needs to be the hormones that are given, you know, in a traditional gender reassignment process, but also, um, there needs to be, um, hormone, um, Maintenance of the uterus that's implanted, not only so that it can remain viable, but also so that it can actually hold hold a pregnancy successfully. In addition to that, there are medications that need to be used to prevent the body from rejecting the uterus, as, as has happened um, last week. Um, you know, and so there 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 are a lot of. Sort of chemical things that has to happen as well, and you know, there's some things we don't really understand yet about what that process could mean for someone. We don't know, for example, how the anti-rejection drugs will affect um, a fetus or uh, a child. You know, a child who's successfully born. We don't know what the long-term effects might be. So, you know, there's a lot that we still don't know. But yeah, there's a there's chemi- there's a chemical process as well as just kind of a reconstructive.
4: Mm-hmm. What about the the psychological factors? Um, I, I'm sure there probably have not been enough studies for us to dig that deep. Uh, but did you ask any questions or interviews in which if that came up at all?
1: Yeah, um, one of the things that was really interesting to me is you know I, you know ask, given you know the amount of of you know difficulty you have to go through and, and the complication of not only the surgery but the hormones and whatnot that she has to go through, why would, you know, someone want to put themselves through this, even for the possibility of bearing a child and, you know, in the way that we think of it? Um, And one of the trans women explained to me that it was, that becoming a mother was something she had always wanted to do, even when she was a child, um, back when she was, you know, living as a little boy, Um, she wanted to be a mom. And I think that taught me, at least, and I hope my readers too, a lot about what um, this thing they call gender dysphoria really looks like. When you know yourself as this gender that doesn't fit your body, it even extends to how you see your future self or how you would like to see your future self. And this young woman explained to me, she said, you know, I had no idea if it was even possible for me to become a mother, but back when I was a kid, I wanted to be a mom. And it's the same kind of, you know, personal psychological imperative that a lot of people feel, a lot of those who are born females feel when, you know, when they're little girls and, you know, maybe they have right. the idea that somebody, they like to have children and become mothers. I mean, this is, it just sounded just like that to me. And, um, I think that when something is that... I mean, and this is somebody who couldn't even imagine how it would have been possible given the circumstances of her birth. So, you know, it, it sort of gives you a sense of just how powerful that desire is and how deep how how much a part of this person it is and how deeply i'm going to say embedded because it makes it sound as if it just came from nowhere but how much part of this 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 person that the desire to become a parent in this case a mom really Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. and it was to her it was worth it for you know anything that she would have to go through to do this um you know, and that's what you know. That this really gave me some insight into the mindset, into the right. psychology.
4: Right. Right. I think the 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 biggest thing for me also, just reading this article, um, is that if if it is if it becomes possible, it could really revolutionize the modern you know definition that of of mom of 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 woman of you know bearing children <laughs> based off of how society defines it. I think that that really then. Uh, in my opinion, would, uh, would it would be very progressive if we could do this.
1: Yeah, well, I think one great thing about, um, you know, doing a story like this now before it really has become possible in a practical sense is it gives us a chance to sort of learn, gives us as a society a chance to learn some things um, before we get to that point. You know, like, for example, this, this lesson I learned and I hope others have learned about what it means to want to become a mom, even though you're a little boy, what gender, what they call gender dysphoria, what that really looks like for people, what that feels like, what, you know, that kind of insight, I think, is necessary in the run-up to, you know, ultimately being able to um, implant uteruses into um, those who are born male, but who who are, you know, transgender women, you know, it, I think that it's going to be kind of a long time to Before we get to that point, and in the meantime, we have a chance to learn a bit more about what motherhood means, about what being what femininity means, about Mm -hmm. what um, you know, about what how 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 young people really see themselves. Um, you know, particularly people who feel that they were born into the wrong gender, how they really see themselves and how, you know, just giving us some insight into that. so I'm hoping that in the, you know, in the interim, we'll get a chance to learn a little bit more about how that works.
4: Leah, thank you so much for joining us here on the program, for sharing your very, very important article. It's it's, uh, it's extremely fascinating.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. I really appreciate it being here.
4: Follow Leah and her work by heading to statnews.com and searching Leah Samuels. Don't go away. When we come back, some final thoughts and uh, some fun. Maybe kick the can around here on (laughs) the show on this kind of crazy day after daylight savings time. Don't go away. We'll be right back. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.
3: When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community.
4: This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW.
5: Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family.
4: So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter dot com.
2: And now back to the Michelle Meow Show.
4: Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. And uh, right now we have we have a gift for you. <laughs> we have a good friend of ours who's here in studio, and that is Vivian Ming. Vivian, thanks so much for being with us again.
5: Absolutely, I would never pass it up.
4: Yeah. So um, you know we've had Vivian on a couple times in talking about uh, tech and the LGBTQ community. Vivian uh, is a genius, I should say, but also a scientist, a mother, a beautiful you know wife um, who uh,
5: invents things, invents things in the tech world, right? Absolutely. Uh, you can only invent so many babies in your life. And so <laughs> I supplement my need to be a mom by inventing neural networks yeah. and products and anything else that I think is going to move the needle on human potential. Right now
4: is an exciting time for you. Uh, we talked about this last time in which you had plans to launch Muse. And the time has come. Um, and uh, let's remind everyone uh, you know, what Muse is all about.
5: So Muse is this very modest proposition. I wanted to come up with a way to really give parents the ability to preserve the story of their children's life. Everything they were born with, you want them to fully realize throughout their life. And we do so much, so many crazy things to make that happen. What if we just did something really simple? Like you answered a question once a day. And in exchange for that, we gave you a single activity, the one thing you can do tonight that will have the biggest impact on your child's life. And we do it again tomorrow and the next day. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I can say as a mom, my kids were the first to ever sign up for Muse. And we have been doing this for a little while now. And apart from the fact that there's very fancy machine learning and hopes and dreams and wishes... It's just been great to have this simple thing we could do every night together. So let's break it down for everyday people now in terms of how the technology
4: actually works. Um, Yeah. Is it like
5: a a text message? Is it like an email? Uh, How does it work? So we wanted this to be able to reach anyone. Yeah, it's technology. Yes, I am a fancy-smancy machine learning technologist. But... Our proposition was, I want to be able to reach anyone with as little as a flip phone and a mobile network. So this works simply via text messages, or you can get an app. Uh, We have the Android version out now, and iPhone's in the works, and we even have plans beyond that. So it boils down to something very simple, which is, again, usually a yes-no question each day. And then a single thing, 10, 15, 20 minutes that you can sit down and do with each of your kids that was targeted exactly at what they need based on, quite literally on my part, research on well over 100 million people that I did on one of my last startups, uh, predicting their life outcomes and their career outcomes. How long will you live? How happy will you be? How much money will you make?
4: Can you put me into that calculation and see what the solution or the outcome might be? No, that's a different show. Um, you mentioned earlier that you're, you know, you've, you've tested Muse uh, in terms of, of your kids as participants. Um, what new thing did you learn about your kids or what you know, anything fascinating that you, you recognized? If, if you didn't have Muse, that you wouldn't have recognized?
5: Well, you know, one thing is interesting is my wife and I are both answering those yes-no questions, and we don't always agree. Uh, It was fun behind the scenes to develop a system that could actually make use of the fact that the parents disagree, but, um, you know, it was funny. Oh, no, Felix needs more physical activity. Oh, no, I think he's in good shape. Um, So different feelings about that sort of thing starts to emerge in the parents, and it turns out that's informative, too. Uh, And then the other side is sometimes it seems like the activity that it was tailor-made for my daughter, she goes by tigger in the system. um, It it just, be honest, sometimes those things fall flat. And the things Mm -hmm. that you think, oh, she'd never love this. I would never do this on my own. She is all over it. We did a scavenger hunt for shapes last night. She would draw out shapes and then we'd hunt for them together around the house. And it was just... I thought she wouldn't get anything out of it, and it was a blast.
4: <laughs> so since it's radio, you know, we're going to have to try hard to get inside people's uh, imaginations and theatrical mind if you can imagine how this software would work. So let's walk them through it. Let's, let's give an example of how this could change uh, the relationship that you have with your children. So say um, you're starting the program
5: for the first time. Um, how, how would it work? So you sign up, and the only thing we initially ask for is how old your kid is and what your zip code is. By the way, that's a little disturbing. Just knowing your zip code tells us so much about your kids and where they're headed in their life. shouldn't be that way, but it is. From there, you know, we in some ways have told the whole story. There are some other fancy things that we've built, such as the ability to take a picture of your child's artwork Our system can actually understand that picture or record their voice. But all you have to do each day, one yes, no question, and then it delivers an insight. Wow. Uh, So, you know, what is amazing about this to us is I'm gonna try and throw out a new, you know, business speak nonsense term, a triple bottom line. So, we have had this most amazing experience companies have come to us and said, what if we got this for all of our employees? What if everyone working here, we could make an investment in them? We're already spending, we have a philanthropic wing, we're spending money on our local school system. Would this help with that and help with our long term? 20 years from now, are we going to have, will there be kids that have grown up that can actually be our employees? And you know what? When You decrease that stress at home. When you've got something, you feel like you're making progress with your kids, you've actually got more headspace to can be more successful at work. So we're calling it, yes, it's tasteless, a triple bottom line that that companies can really benefit by directly investing in their families.
4: Let's talk about, you know, something that I thought of um, uh, weeks after, you know, we spoke and you introduced this idea of Muse to the audience. Um, What about, like, cultural differences say for example you know in my household growing up um the only thing that mattered to my mom was bringing home the grades she didn't she wasn't very i think you know a lot of asian kids feel this but uh, your parents aren't very they're active participants in your your childhood in that way and you know it's kind of like they tell you at a very young age this is what life is supposed to be go to school and do your chores and that's it. You get where I'm going? I with? know exactly yeah. what
5: you're saying. And you know what? There's cultural differences within a society here, broadly speaking, in the United States, across societies. Uh, we're working on projects uh, across Africa in rural China. We're looking to develop projects in India. And just simply baseline culture, you've Genu- I mean, we have to word things differently. Forget the different languages. Right. Even in English, you have to word things differently. Different kinds of parents respond differently. But specifically to what you're talking about, I actually just gave a TED Talk, and uh, I had this line in it. Sorry, Tiger Moms, but it's actually you as a role model, not as dictator, that predicts the life outcomes of your children. So one of the things we can do isn't simply get parents engaged, but get them engaged in the right way. Got it. Got it. How fascinating. Um, So like
4: I said, it's an exciting time for you right now, which means that Muse has officially launched, right?
5: So Muse is out there. We are doing a public beta because we're a hybrid nonprofit. Um, We are insisting that anyone that wants to participate pay our enormously extravagant, I think it comes out (laughs) to three lattes a year price for each of your kids. Yeah. Um, But that helps us give it away for free to anyone that can't afford $25. Uh, So we're kicking the tires right now out there in the public. And as soon as that's in place, we're going to expand and expand and expand.
4: I love it. I love it. And this is for every parent. It's not, you know, just... uh directed or targeted to parents who are techno technologically advanced or anything like that, right?
5: You know, a lot of what educational technology is, is about, and let's be honest here, it's about deciding who goes to Brown versus Princeton. And that's entirely good business, and you can genuinely help people there. We wanted to build something where we could take a kid that's growing up in a rural village whether it's New Mexico or China or Liberia, and make a real difference in their life. And the same product can make a difference in the lives of my kids. And boy, I own a lot of privilege.
4: Vivian, thank you so much for joining us here again, and congratulations on the official launch of Muse. And, and I mean, gosh, thanks for being a great human being and, <laughs> and
5: living in our time and creating all these awesome, awesome products. All right, I have to just grin and say thank you for those soul-scorching compliments. Thank you so much.
4: (laughs) To learn more about Muse, and uh, you don't have to be a parent. If you know you've got friends who are parents and and people who want to learn about this stuff, you can head to SoCoastLearning.com, and that's S-O-C-O-S-Learning.com.